0: Um, you, say that, uh, Sorry, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> you say that beneath the surface of all of us who want to manipulate God yes. or have a tendency to do that how does that square with intercessory prayer? <laughs> I, I think it's because until we get to the new creation we're all crazy mixed up kids who battle with doing the right thing like intercessory prayer and asking God uh, for the things he's called on us to ask, but lurking below the, si- the sin- in the simple sinful- in the that lurks below the surface, there's nonetheless a desire to think that we can get God to do the things that we want. So we think that if we, if if, if I serve Him well, and if I if I give generously, and if I go to the prayer meeting and things, then, then then He actually ought to to bless me in some kind of way. One thing I know is that I know what people mean, but I think it's given away in a little bit of the language we use. Sometimes we say, God has been very kind to me and gracious to me. And then we are not told what he's been gracious and kind in giving. And it's usually what the person wanted. Would if God had not given it to you, would he have still been gracious and kind to you? The answer is yes, because that is his nature, his character. He can not, the only he only can give you things graciously and kindly, because that's his very name means he's gracious and kind. And so, but we can think God's been gracious and kind to, to us when he's given me what I want. And I think that gives away that there's just lurking below in our praying, often for okay things, that there's actually a thought that God ought to give it to us. Uh, so, I think it's just that, yes, we do pray intercessorily, of course, because we're commanding to. But, but I just want to alert us that I think below the surface of most of us is the thought that God ought to give us what we think He ought to give us.
1: I think it's questions. Sort of comparing a couple of things, you said to back in the first talk where uh, Haggai was saying how things have gone wrong for the Israelites and the community had uh, growing. And you refer back to 2 where yep. curses are set forward for breaking the covenant. So what did you expect? And um, there, there are also promises of blessing for in obedience to the covenant as well, and of how perhaps a bit more clarification on how that squares to what you were saying earlier is
0: it is it is sovereign right
1: to bless but what then how do we then make sense of, for example, obedience and it doesn't bring seems to bring blessing and how to uh, how to as well deal with being
0: discouraged when that seems to happen. That I so, so are you having
1: it both ways by saying, well, the great covenant, the yes. great covenant, what do you expect? The curses, they,
0: but they obey the covenant. I oh, will know that's not the reason that they're blessed. Okay. It's worth studying the, the two great chapters that express the deal God makes with Moses are Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And they both begin with the promises of blessing if the people obey. So if Israel had obeyed Yahweh, they would have ended up in the Garden of Eden-like blessing. And both of those chapters begin that way. But both of those chapters warn that if the people disobey, the following curses will come about. Once Israel has disobeyed, Haggai's point in chapter 2, in chapter 1 they disobeyed and they should have expected these curses. In chapter 2, once they have disobeyed, they are defiled, And by just turning over a new leaf, you can't undo the defilement. In other words, once you're defiled, you are completely defiled, defiled all the way through, and it will take something from outside you to undo that defilement, because sin needs to be paid for, needs to be punished. And so it will be only as a result of the death of Jesus that blessing can come upon you. Um, so the point that Haggai's wanting to make in chapter two, he don't think that if you turn over a new leaf, suddenly blessing must happen automatically. Now, once you disobeyed, you'll defiled. If Israel had ever obeyed in terms of Leviticus the 26, then they would have never had any of the curses. Um, and it, when you read Leviticus 26 of Deuteronomy 28, of course, it raises the question: if you've read the Bible up to this point, and God makes this. Uh, deal. If you obey perfectly, it'll be like the Garden of Eden. But if you don't, it'll be only curses. You've read the story so far, and your expectation is Israel are not going to be able to obey because they've not obeyed at any point up till now. So actually, you read Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 thinking, how is it going to be possible for God ever to bless? And the answer is because someone else will be obedient <coughs> on behalf of Israel. So someone else will live as the perfect Israel the life of Leviticus twenty six and Deuteronomy And he, as it were, gives the certificate of his achievements, his obedience, which of course is what's happening as Jesus dies on the cross. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question, Craig. Uh yeah, is that Andrew? Yep. Yeah. Um, you said that, um, that our success doesn't depend on mm-hmm. our efforts, but um surely if we if we're abiding by a line with it. Then that makes it more likely there will be blessings. And also, tithing. Uh, there's a direct link made between tithing and blessings on numerous occasions in the Old Testament. And, um, yeah, i giving off those fruits to God. That's, you know, that's we will be blessed, according to the Bible. So, can you explain that? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, the, the first thing it might be worth just saying is whilst tithing is commanded in the Old Testament it's nowhere commanded in the New Testament and so so that kind of Old Testament legislation I don't think is uh, binding uh, on us uh, you will discover both in the Old and the New Testament that in that there is a relationship between our faithfulness and God's reward but the relationship is not one of burden and merit. So, for example, in the New Testament, in Luke 19, you will read the parable of the ten minors, which is an encouragement for us to live faithfully as God's servants in this world while we wait for our master to return. Yeah? And being faithful matters because of the assessment that's made by the master when, the king retur- when he returns as king. But the reward he gives is out of all proportion to the service, so that you don't slip into thinking that the service has earned the reward. So there is a relationship between faithfulness and reward, but it's not one of earning and merit, because it's not not direct in those kind of ways. It's a bit like saying, is there a relationship between faith and righteousness? Abraham believed God, and God credited to, to him as righteousness. So I wouldn't say yes. There is a relationship between faith and God giving righteousness, but it's not one of earning or, or merit. In other words, what God when we trust God, He gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He declares us to be right with Him. Have we earned that by our faith? No. But is there a relationship between faith and righteousness? Yes, and it's worth just getting back that kind of idea separating that kind of idea so I think I understand your question but yes there is a relationship but don't think it's one of earning and merit because otherwise you will think that you can twist God's arm and turn him on to give you what you think you ought to have thank you just one or two more (laughs) Lewis Um, thanks. My question is about um, temple building. I think okay. In um, in a church such as ours, where there's a lot of young professionals who've decided that you know we want to invest time in our, our careers, that's sort of what defines us in a city like London. It's very easy to sort of wake up and go to work and think I am you know a fundraising person, a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. How how do we stop? think of that first and then, you know, I might do some temple building if I had a chance rather than waking up and thinking I am building those temples. in my life. Uh Great question. I'd say two things, I think. First, make sure, you, you won't do anything if, you, if the orientation of your heart and thinking is not about the future and about what God is doing for the future. So, So, if you... If you only ever think of the here and now, you will become a materialist by definition. If the here and now is all that there is. Materialism is all that there is. But if, so, so we need to keep orientating our hearts and minds towards the future and what God is doing, the, the, bigger, the, the bigger picture. And I think I would then encourage those who are in secular normal employment to start thinking of everything that they do still in terms of temple building. So, you go to work, you have to do some work, but nearly all of us go to work and are in relationship with people. Well, why not be praying that those relationships are useful relationships? And are relationships, it might take years to build, but relationships where you'll get opportunities to talk about Christ. Why not think of your money in terms of something that is God's and, uh, and how you use it will therefore uh, be affected by, by temple building and by the eternal life. But I've I think that one of the things that we tend to do, which I don't think is a biblical idea, is we tend to separate out, we compartmentalise our lives into, this is the work bit, this is the church bit, this is the family bit, this is the leisure bit, and we see them as all kind of separate into independent activities. Whereas actually I think we ought to to them much more that this is, this is my life, and all of those things fit in, in that, and all of that needs to be ruled by King Jesus. And all of it needs to count for King Jesus. So I would want to say to any of you who are in your job ought to count for Jesus. You ought to be doing it in such a way, one Thessalonians, that it's honouring God in the way that you do it. Um, and so I would say don't compartmentalise. Think of the whole of what you do as being under the rule of Jesus and for the eternal push of where Jesus is taking it. One more. Yes. Yeah. You talked about people um, aching for the ending of God to be
1: judged.
0: Yeah. How do you balance that with aching for them to know Jesus? Oh, it's both. It's both at the same time. It's a, it's, a, it's a double ache. Of course, of, of course, of course, we are aching for people to come to Jesus. But what is the response when you read the? the final three chapters of the book of Revelation. So you read the final judgment in chapter 20, and then you read the glorious new creation in chapter 21 and chapter 22, and you hear Jesus say, I am coming soon. What's our response to Jesus saying, I am coming soon? He <laughs> say, come Lord Jesus, come. In other words, the final picture ought to make us ache for it. There ought to be an aching for the end. Which isn't to say, of course, that until it happens, we ache to see our friends converted. So I think mean, it's, a, it's a, double, a double ache. But if, 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 you, if, you, if there is no ache in you for Jesus to return and bring the, the, the new covenant community eternally, which is there also the judgment on those, if there's no ache in you for that, I would say either you haven't grasped the gospel yet or you haven't read enough of what eternity is going to be like to, to, to ache it for you. Um, because, because it really is absolutely wonderful. I think part of our problem is that in England, and perhaps even in London, life is actually quite good, we think. And so we don't ache for what is going to come. Because we don't realise how much better that is than what we've got. And it's only actually when a tragedy occurs that we actually start aching again for what we ought to. But, so, but don't, if you get so comfortable in the know that then the ache might not be there for the future. But, but it ought to be. Uh, and certainly, when e- whenever anything that you don't think is good happens, you will ache for it a bit more. Um, and that's why our, many of our brothers and sisters around the world ache for it in a way that we don't, because life's quite good. Justin, thank you very, very much. Well, thank you more formally in a bit. Okay. Uh, but thank yes. you so much for encouraging us. We're very grateful to go